Good morning, Sterling. Wow, that sounded like you were tired. Can we try that one more time before we do introductions? Good morning, Sterling. Good morning. Hey, wait, fake it till you make it. That's what freshman year is all about, isn't that right? I am so glad to meet you. My name is Andy. Please, on the count of three, tell me your name. One, two, three. So nice to meet you. Uh, do me a favor, turn to whoever you're sitting next to, whether you know them or not, and say, I'm so glad I came even though you showed up. Go ahead and tell them real quick. <laughs> Nothing like a warm greeting, right? Guys, I am glad to be with you. Some of you we've had a chance to meet. Others of you we've uh, connected online. For some of you, this is a first start. My name is Andy Addis, and I have the privilege of being a pastor here in this community. We're a multi-site church. We have uh, campuses across the state, and one of them is here in Sterling. So I've been given an incredible opportunity to come and challenge you guys in the area of one of the many different things that you're going to get to experience in this freshman year of college you are going to have an opportunity to excel academically. Many of you are in the field of athletics. Others of you are gonna expand relationships like you've never known before. There's just a thousand things in front of you that are gonna be vastly different. And one of the challenges that you have in front of you is to decide what to do with your spirit, what to do with spirituality and faith. Now, some of you come in here as believers, and you know this is a Christian college. And for you, that's exciting. For others of you, you come in and you go, it's a Christian college, what am I gonna do with that? And the reality is wherever you are on that continuum, there is an opportunity. On the count of three, I need everybody to say opportunity. Ready? One, two, three. It's an opportunity for you to make some decisions and for you to either get a hold of what is here and use or for you to make some decisions about how you run the rest of your life. I want to challenge you, whether you think you're a spiritual individual or not, or maybe you think that's the furthest thing from you, you've been given a great gift for the next few years of your life or at least this year, you have the opportunity to explore what do I believe and what can I do with the rest of my life. I believe that this is what we call a trajectory year. If you've ever thrown a football, football is all about trajectory. I mean, you have the right practice and the muscle memory. You get the right grip. You use the right amount of strength. You have your target. But once you release, it's done. The trajectory that you set it on, that's where it's going to go. And the reality is freshman year is a trajectory year. You can do everything in the world. You get the right grip. You get in the right direction. You give all the gusto you can. But this is a release year. And that can be a little scary, especially when we're talking about some spiritual things. Anybody here love scaring your friends? Anybody love doing that? Hiding in the closet, jumping out, trying to get some video for the internet. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Man, I love that stuff. And if you're one of those people who hates that stuff, then your friends love doing that to you. Isn't that right? Say an amen for that. That's crazy. Uh, I, I love scary moments. I think they reveal a lot to a lot about us and a lot through us. Uh, my wife allowed me. By the way, my sweet wife is with us today. This is Miss Kathy back here. I always like to introduce her and embarrass her because she doesn't appreciate it. So there she is. Um, anyway, she let me fulfill one of my lifelong dreams about a decade ago. I was able. I've always wanted a pop-up camper trailer. I know it's not a big dream, but I've always wanted one. But they're a little expensive, and so we've never had one. But we found one at a pawn shop that was in a rollover accident on the highway, and they only wanted $200 for it. And so she let me fulfill my redneck hillbilly dream to have a pop-up camper trailer. And we towed that thing home. Actually, I had to drag it home. I mean, it was not in good shape at all. The sink had been ripped off in the rollover. There was some broken venting. There were all kinds of problems with it. So we just threw a tarp over it, and we waited till next spring, because it was in November when we bought it, and I was going to pull it in the backyard, and that's exactly what I did. Spring came, and we pulled that in the backyard. We pried it open, and we set it up next to the trampoline. And if you've ever seen a backyard with a pop-up camper trailer next to a trampoline, that's a Jeff Foxworthy episode waiting to happen right there. 
And so we have this thing propped open, and I'm going to spend a couple weeks working on it because we want to take it out for spring break. It's going to be so much fun. And, and I'm working on this piece and that piece, and I had to replace a bit of the door, and I forgot this piece and need to do that. And we're just having one of those great afternoons. My boys were younger then, jumping up and down on the trampoline. I'm working on the trailer. It's just so much fun. Well, I'm out there, and I'm working on something in the trailer, the actual piano hinge on the, on the sink. And, and as I'm doing that, my boys finished jumping on the trampoline, went inside, so I'm kind of alone in the backyard. I realize I need another tool. I turned around to get out of my pop-up camper, only to realize that I had taken the handle off because I was working on the door, had the handle on the outside, but I have nothing on the inside. So I'm stuck. I, I can't get out of my own trailer, but I thought, that's okay. Somebody will come rescue me in a minute. I go back, and I do a little bit more work, what I can do with the tools that I have, and nobody comes out 10, 15 minutes later. And then I start cleaning up, and it's not a really big area, right? I start getting cleaned up in there, and still, 15, 20 minutes after that, I've been out there for half an hour. Nobody's come out to rescue Dad. So now I start getting a little upset. I go, Noah! Nathan! No answer. I get desperate. I start calling for neighborhood kids. Sydney! Nothing. I go, man, I don't want to do this. Kathy! Last thing you want is for your wife to come and let you out of a locked-up camper trailer that you're stuck in. Nobody came. Now I get mad. Have you ever been mad in a confined space? You can't even pace well. You just have to do this, around in a little circle. After 45 minutes, the back door opened up. I thought, somebody finally remembered Dad. Thank you. And it was Noah, and he didn't remember Dad. He was bringing the trash. I went, no, 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 come over here, buddy. And he comes right up to the door, and he goes, what do you need, Dad? I go, hit the button. He said, are you stuck? Boy, open that door. And he hit the button and the door popped open. And I had been in that trailer for almost an hour. Now, the reason that I'm beginning with this story is I want you to get in your mind how stupid it was for me to be stuck in a pop-up trailer for an hour. Because the reality is I could have taken a pocket knife out and cut the canvas, reached through, and been out in less than 10 seconds. Can I get an amen in the house? I mean, that door that I had already worked on, all it would take is a little bit of pressure. Even if I leaned on it wrong, I could snap it right off its hinges, and I'd have been out in two seconds. If I really wanted to get busy on it, it's a pop-up camper trailer. I could stomp real hard and smash through the floorboard and just crawl out through the bottom. You know why I didn't do any of those? Let me tell you why. I didn't cut that canvas because canvas is expensive. I didn't want to replace that. And I didn't push the door open and bust the hinges again. Because my wife knew I already bought that part, and I didn't want to make her mad. And I didn't want to bust through the floorboard, because that would make a mess. And so I stayed stuck in a pop-up camper trailer for an hour. Now, let's make a spiritual connection here. Many of us stay stuck in places we don't need to stay stuck. We made decisions. We said something when we were a junior in high school, and our pride's going to make us live that way for the rest of our lives. Or, or we grew up in this environment, and they would never allow this. And, and what we're saying is, well, I'm here, and I don't want to be here, but it would cost me too much to get out of this. It might make somebody mad if I did that, or it will just make a big old mess. Now look me in the eye. I'm going to tell you something. Do you know what your freshman year is all about? It's about making a big old mess. Your freshman year is about maybe crossing the lines and becoming your own person, and that might tick some people off. And your freshman year, you know what that's about? It's about paying the high price of saying, I'm going to invest in the rest of my life. And so the reality is you're at a great place where you don't need to be scared. You don't need to be intimidated. You don't need to be afraid. What you're going to be offered here at Sterling College is a great education, great relationships, a career start, and wonderful trajectory. But it really also has another component you don't get in a lot of places. 
you're going to have the opportunity to decide, is there really anything to this faith stuff? Is there really anything to living a life that would take me in that direction? Is it part of, is it completely about, or does it matter at all? So that's my prayer for you this uh, freshman year, and I'm going to walk you through a, a couple of steps that hopefully will help you see that and embrace that. And for those of you who are willing, I'd ask you to join me in a real quick prayer as I'm going to pray for you as we begin today. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to uh, share with these students. God, I thank you for the life and the youth and the energy and the intelligence. God, I pray right now that they would find themselves willing to submit to you. Some of them who know you and love you, others who are exploring, still others who don't even know. But God, that we would all give you a chance and we know if we'll listen. God, I know if we'll listen, you will speak. So I pray that we take this opportunity and that it would change the direction of our life forever. It's in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ that we pray and all God's people said. Okay, now I come from a church where you got to talk back, so I need a little bit of volume, even if you're tired. All God's people said? Amen. That sounded all right. That sounded all right. Let me read you a quick passage, and then we're going to break it down into two or three elements here that will hopefully help us to see what we might do with this spiritual journey. In Mark chapter 10, I love these stories about Jesus, and I love the interactions with people, especially people that the rest of the world thought weren't of any value. Jesus has an interaction with somebody that in this interaction, everybody else thought this guy wasn't worthy of Jesus' time, but Jesus shows it differently. Here's what it says, Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him, be silent. But he cried all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man and said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? I always thought, thought that was the weirdest question in the Bible. A blind guy is calling out to a healer, and Jesus says, yeah, what do you need? Don't you think even Jesus could just assume that right away? I got news for you. Sometimes Jesus asks questions. Sometimes God asks questions. Not because he doesn't know the answer. He wants to know if you know the answer. Let me give you an example. Adam and Eve in the garden. They bite from the tree, crunch. They realize they're naked. That's a bummer of a day. You ever had that dream you know what I'm talking about? Where you're in class, you're like, ah! all of a sudden you realize and then you wake up absolutely terrified. You're just so thankful that that was a dream. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? So they take and they bite from the tree, crunch. And they look at each other, they're like, oh, we're nude. And they run off and they make fig leaves and they cover themselves. And it says, God comes down in the garden and God says, Adam, where art thou? See, that's a funny question. I, you don't see the humor in that, do you? Here's the reality. God knew where they were. He didn't come down and go, hmm, I had a human somewhere. Where did I put him? But Adam cries out, we're hiding, making him the world's worst hide-and-seek champion on the planet. <laughs> right? But God asks questions because he wants to know if we're going to process the right answers. He asked Bartimaeus a question. What do you want? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. All right. In this are some simple steps that I want, I want you to potentially think and ponder, and maybe even pray through, 
that are going to be important for you to set the trajectory if you're going to allow spirituality to be a part of your freshman year. The first thing I want you to see that needs to take place in everyone's life, and let's make sure I got this working here, yes, is this, that you would realize. Everybody say realize. realize. There needs to be an awakening. There needs to be that moment where you go, oh yeah. There needs to be that time where, you're, where, where your mind turns to the right thing and your heart turns to the right thing. Because let's be honest, human beings are selfish. Look at whoever you're sitting next to and say, he's talking about you. Go ahead and tell him real quick. No, go ahead and tell him. That's right. Human beings are selfish. And spirituality is the beginning of that moment where you start to look outside of yourself. There has to be that realization. Everybody say, realize. realize. Nice and loud. I want to hear it. Everybody say, realize. realize. What happens here? And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho, his disciples, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. This is where this guy is every day. His only job, there's no welfare, nobody's taking care of him. He has some friends who maybe will lead him out, and he sits by the side of the road. It's a busy intersection, and, and he hopes that people will throw crumbs of food. They're done with that roll, and they give them that last bite, or, or they'll throw a couple of pennies down his way. This is where he is. This is his life. This is his existence, and on this day... He hears a great crowd going by, and he hears the name Jesus. And when he hears that, he has a realization. One more time. Everybody say, realize. realize. He has a realization that this may be my shot. This may be my once in a lifetime. This may be the moment. Everything from the time that I was born has led up to this. This is the apex moment. From here, I'm either going to go there or I'm going to go there. This is the moment. And everybody, everybody say everybody. everybody. Everybody has to come to that moment of realization. Have you ever realized when you're doing something stupid? Let's try that again. I'm going to see some hands if there's really anybody out there. Anybody ever realize you've been doing something stupid? A couple of years ago, I was at a conference. I was getting an award. And so I was really excited. And I'm waiting in the back. And about five or six minutes before the award comes, I'm kind of prepping, you know, making sure I look good because I'm going to be up on stage. It's going to be all right. And, and it hit me. I have to go to the bathroom. Isn't that the worst time in the world? And so gonna, real quick, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shoot out, and I'm at this place, I don't, I don't even know where I am, this, this foreign church, right? And, and I go into the bathroom, and, and I use the bathroom, and I wash my hands, and I turn around, and I'm, I'm thinking, i got plenty of time, I'm just going to run out. And I grab hold of the door, and <clears throat> I mean, it doesn't even budge. It's not, it's not like, it's, like it's stuck in a little, little edgy, I mean, it just doesn't even move. And, and I remember putting both hands on it, and now panic sets in. Not only because I'm going to miss the time for the award, but I feel claustrophobic. I'm locked in this bathroom. I put a foot up on the door, and, I'm, and I start beating on the door, and I'm asking for help, help. And out of the peripheral vision in my eye, I look over, and I see another door open up, and that's when I realize I'm pulling on the closet supply door. And not only was that bad, but somebody just came in and caught me doing it. And have you ever had that moment? You're like, yep, that door's secure. Everything looks good. And then you walk out. That moment you realize, yes, I'm an idiot. I make a horrible mistake. That was, that was so embarrassing. There are moments you got to realize stuff. My, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law, she has recently got into the texting world. Yeah. <laughs> Did you feel the collective? Oh. When the older generation gets in that texting world, but it was great because now, you know this, if you can text, you don't have to make a phone call. Thank you, Jesus. That's how that works. And she started texting, and she was sending Kathy text messages, and, and Kathy would get these text messages, and they would always end with the only acronym she apparently knew, LOL. Everything was LOL. So good to see you. Love you, baby. LOL. What does that mean? 
Hey, did you see what's going on in the news today? Our, our little, t- our little sound, town made the news, LOL. I guess I understand that. Until one day she got a message that said, your aunt passed away, just wanted you to know, LOL. And Kathy texted back and said, Mom, that's not funny. She goes, I know it's not funny. She goes, then why did you LOL? She goes, because I mean it. Mom, what do you think LOL means? She goes, lots of love. No, it doesn't. <laughs> LOL means what? Laugh out loud. And her mom's like, oh my goodness. Because she remembered all the different people. She had sent a mass text out to all her family. <laughs> LOL. Realize. Everybody say realize. realize. Guys, there comes a place in all of our lives. Let me tell you about my realize moment. I grew up in a home in which uh, my mom was married, um, uh, obviously to my dad, but uh, didn't last. He left her, abandoned her. She got uh, connected to another guy who was abusive, had a difficult growing up period. We weren't a Christian home. Um, It was uh, was rough. I had a mom who loved me and uh, a couple of male models, uh, male role models in my family that were nothing but good and are nothing but ungood. and, And it was just hard, hard, hard. And there was a family that was down the street, and uh, they went to one of those independent King James-only fundamental churches with the bus ministry. And they would come by and knock on the door every Monday. And we would pretend we weren't home. We'd turn out the lights and lay on the floor. Y'all know what I'm talking about? But my stepdad got mad at it because it was Monday night football. They kept interrupting. And so one day he opened the door and said, what do you people want? We just want somebody to come to Jesus in this house. And they're like... If I put my kid on your bus, will you leave us alone? And I became the sacrificial lamb for Monday night football. <laughs> on Sundays, like I put on this bus, had to wear a suit and tie and go off to this fundy church. And, uh, but let me tell you, in that process, as much as I didn't want to go, I learned some lessons. I heard some things. Even through the mess of the chaos of a church that didn't have all the right pieces, I heard this. You're sinful, but God loves you. You're broken, but God has healing. You didn't have a good father, but you actually have a great father. And there was a moment in which my life turned around, in which I sat on the front of that Bluebird school bus with a man named Larry McIntosh, and he looked me in the eye as a fifth grader and said, do you get this, Andy? And I said, yes, I get this. And he held my hand, and I prayed, and on that night, on that night, that repetition that should happen that every psychologist will tell you, I'm going to have multiple marriages, I'm going to abuse my kids because that's what I grew up under. Right now, I'm looking at 21 plus years of marriage with two kids that the only time I've ever touched them was to hug them. Well, they got spanked when they were younger, but they needed it in Jesus' name. (laughs) Because there has to come a moment in which we realize. Everybody say realize. realize. You realize. You need something. We're blind and we're broken on the side of the road. And if we don't reach out, we're going to spend the rest of our lives there. So the first thing I'm praying for you at this uh, junction in your life, your freshman year, is that you would realize. One more time. Everybody say realize. Realize. Here's the second word. Call out. Everybody say call out. out. This is actually one of my favorite parts of the story. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus Son of David, have mercy on me. 
Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This is hard because this means to go public. We've made faith private. Well, faith is a private matter. We've heard that before. Faith is private. If you're a Christian, let me help you out with that. Show me one verse that says faith is private. Show me one story where faith is private. I'm going to tell you straight up. As a follower of Jesus Christ, faith is public. The reason that we baptize, we baptize wrong in our culture today. I'm a Baptist and I do it wrong. We do it inside the church where other Christians can watch. They used to baptize out in the marketplace where people who were used to be a part of your family, they would turn their back on you and go, if you're going to believe that stuff, you are dead to me. But the whole world knew what they believed. Faith is very public. It takes a stand. We say faith, it doesn't cost you anything. True, it's grace that gets you there, but it costs a whole lot to stand up and say, this is what I believe. This is who I am. And for us, as a freshman, this is the year that you can draw a line in the sand. You go on a date. No, we don't do that because this is what I believe. You go into a classroom and somebody teaches you this. You say, yeah, well, you can believe that, but this is what the Word of God says. And and the reality is, this is the year you're going to decide. What are you going to decide? This is the year you're going to say, I'm going to call out. I'm either going to call out, it's all about me. Or I believe in something bigger than me. And I will call out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. (laughs) It makes me excited to think about the possibilities of what that means. To make a decision. To make a decision. Do you all know what decide means? I mean, we know what the word means from the dictionary side, but do you know what really it means to make a decision? I don't think we do, because we've turned into a culture where we make a decision with options, right? But the word decide actually is a Latin word that we didn't even translate. We just pronounced the Latin word and we gave it a new meaning. The word decide means to kill, pesticide, homicide, suicide, genocide. To decide means to kill. And all the prefixes on that tell you to kill what? If you say, I'm going to decide, everybody say decide. You're making a decision to kill something. This makes me happy. (laughs) Because what is a decision? A decision says, I have decided this is what I believe. I have decided this is my direction. I have decided this is the way I'm going. And because of that, I'm not saying this and that. I'm not saying this and maybe that. I'm saying I have killed off the other options. They are no, I'm blind to them. I'm dead to them. I'm going public. This is who I am. Party on, Wayne. Party on, Garth. This is the direction that I'm going. My son, when uh, he was real little, Noah, he's 16 now. He loves it when I tell baby stories, but his mama took him uh, with us to a funeral. She didn't used to go to all the funerals that I did when I was learning to preach in seminary, but uh, this was a big one. It was for a college professor who wasn't a believer, and, and all these uh, university folks and types were going to be there, and it was going to be probably the biggest crowd I'd ever preached to. And man, I showed up there, and there were probably four or 500 people in this chapel, and, and they asked me, um, could you really tone down the Jesus stuff? And I'm like, no, I cannot, and, um, because I had made a decision as to who I was. And, and so Kathy was there for prayer support, and um, she had Na- Noah back there on her lap. I don't know. It would seem like a football field away, way back there. And somebody got up and gave a eulogy, and somebody got up and sang a song, and somebody got up and read some scripture. But then I got up, and I started to speak, and I was only a sentence or two into it when I saw my little boy, his toehead. He'd been sitting on Kathy's lap, eating goldfish and coloring in a coloring book. But when he heard my voice, I saw his face. All the way in the back of that crowd, I saw that movement. And in that refined gathering, in that solemn assembly of a funeral, I heard my little guy go, Daddy! 
and Kathy's muffling his mouth, and he just pulled her hand down. Daddy! And thank goodness everybody there laughed. And it was a real break. But do you, the reason I'm telling you that story is how many of you would have that kind of courage in a room like that to just stand up and say, Daddy, here's who I am. Here's what I believe. And I don't care what anybody, that's my daddy right there. You see, that's what it means to call out. Everybody say, call out. And so you're going to have an opportunity not only to realize, let's start again. Everybody say, realize. But once you realize who you are and who he is, if I'm anywhere near base on this, then you're going to have an opportunity to call out, which is going to lead you to a third thing. And the third thing comes with some hardship. The third thing is you got to learn to ignore. Everybody say ignore. ignore. Nice and loud. Everybody say ignore. ignore. This is going to be the hardest thing in the world because we are the most selfie, selfie picture taken, lifestyle posting. Please like what I said. Please affirm who I am. Don't let me offend you by what I say, culture, that has ever existed on the planet. And if you're going to be a follower of Christ, let me just tell you, let me just tell you right now, you're going to tick some people off. I actually like that part of it. That's part of my nature. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, there are going to be people who are disappointed in you. When I asked for Kathy's hand in marriage, her parents said, okay, well, yes, but just don't become a missionary. Really? Yeah, we can handle you being a preacher, but just don't take her to Africa or India or someplace like that. Well, it might happen. Thank you, Jesus, it didn't. I'm really happy living in the United States. But people won't understand. If you're really going to follow Christ passionately, everybody say passionately. Passionate. Am I too close? You look a little uncomfortable. I promise I'll move away in a second. <laughs> if you're going to follow him passionately, then the reality is you're going to have to learn to ignore some voices. Look what happened in this guy's life. And many rebuked him because he's a blind guy. He shouldn't talk to a teacher telling him, be silent. But he cried out, this is it, but he cried out all the more. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. See, in our world, somebody pops you on the noggin and says, you sit down and be quiet. We're like, we're sorry. You know what this guy did? Knock it off. I got one shot. Jesus! Does that make you uncomfortable? When I scream like that, it makes you uncomfortable, doesn't it? Especially if I get right in your Jesus! You're really uncomfortable, right? It's awkward. People say, be quiet. Don't act that way. Don't be fanatical. Don't. No. It's public. It's loud. It's weird. Do you know what God calls his own people? We're a peculiar people. That's what God said. <laughs> yeah, and you know, right? <laughs> Look at somebody next to you and say, according to the Bible, you're a weirdo. Go ahead and tell them real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're a peculiar people. We're not supposed to fit in. We're aliens and strangers. This is what it means. And if you're going to set that trajectory, you're going to, say, you're going to make decisions that are more about ministry than money. You're going to make statements that are going to further the cause of Christ and not give you more fame. And it's going to change whoever you are. When you learn to call out, you're going to also have to learn to ignore. And here's the problem. Most of us get stuck because we live in the reality that we become. The book of Proverbs says, if you'll look at your friends, you'll look at who you're becoming. If you'll look at your friends, you're going to look at who you're becoming. That's why missionary dating doesn't work. Well, I, I'm a believer and he's not. 
but, you know, I'm just going to date him and we'll win him over to Jesus. Yeah, that's good work. <laughs> I love you. No. You become who you're around. Have you ever, some of you might be from southern states and this wouldn't really work for you. Have you ever left a bottle of water half drunk on the floorboard of your car overnight in January? Done that before? What happens to that bottle of water? It's frozen. You get up the next morning, it's froze. As much as that bottle of water says, I'm not going to freeze, it's going to freeze. That bottle of water can be stout and resolute. I will stay warm through the night. But guess what? By dawn, that water's froze. Because the environment, you stay in an environment long enough, you become like that environment. And that's why if you're going to follow Christ, you're going to have to make some changes. You're going to have to ignore some voices, and you're going to have to move beyond some places if you're really going to follow him. Because these are the years you're setting the trajectory. Say the words after me. Everybody say, realize. realize. Call, out. Call out. Ignore. Ignore. Here's where it gets real. Sacrifice. Everybody say, sacrifice. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Now, I love this because the rest of the world's going, nobody wants to talk to a beggar. You're lost. You're broken. And Jesus stops the great crowd. He says, stop. And he says, call him. Now, look what happens. And they called to the blind man saying, take heart. Get up. Crowd's so fickle. Nobody likes you. Sit down. Shut up. Be quiet. Jesus wants him. Come here. We love you. Come on. Yeah, that's all right. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. A little bit of biblical background. As a beggar, for him to have a cloak was a treasure. It was what kept him warm at night. It's what protected him from the elements. And when he begged, he would lay it out in front of him, and whatever was cast onto that cloak belonged to him. In this moment, Jesus said, call him. And they said, Jesus will see you. And look what it says. He took his cloak and he threw it aside. He didn't want it to tangle his feet. Everything he owned in his life was on that cloak. And he took it and threw it out of the way so he wouldn't stumble across it on his way to Jesus. Sacrifice. Everybody say sacrifice. sacrifice. Now here's the reality. Everybody in here thinks you got problems? You ain't got problems. You live in America. You don't understand I'm a college student. I'm poor. I love you. But you're not poor. If you've been to McDonald's in the last month, you're not poor. Do you know that more than half the world population lives on less than a dollar a day? Less than a dollar a day. Did you know that if you make $9,000 a year, that you're in the top 10%, no, 15% of the world's wealthiest people? You ain't poor. Look at somebody near you and say, you ain't poor. Look at somebody else and say, you got first world problems. Go ahead and tell them. <laughs> Only problems you got are first world problems. So this is really hard for us. On this list, sacrifice. What do I mean by sacrifice? We don't realize that every, we forget that everything we got actually wasn't ours to begin with. I took uh, my kiddos, when we first moved to Hutch 13 years ago, I took them to see the Hutchinson Salthawk football game on Friday night. And my uh, eldest then, Noah, sat next to me as a little guy. And he's one of those little kiddos at the game. You're like, let's watch the game. And he's like, do I have to? Yes, you need to sit here. Be good. And I, and I kind of bribe him. I say, if you're really good at halftime, I'll take you down and give you whatever you want from the concession stand. So he's like, I'll be good. And the Salt Hawk mascot came out. He almost got us killed. He goes, Dad, look at the big chicken. It's Salt Hawk, not a chicken. Be quiet. Salt Hawk. 
And so we sat there, we had a good time, and about, man, when that clock struck, and it was time for halftime, he was already pulling me out into the aisle. He wanted something, and he knew exactly what he wanted. We went down there, and he got himself a king-size bag of peanut M&Ms. Is there a better food on the planet than that right there? And he got himself a Dr. Pepper, and we went back up to sit, and I didn't get anything because I didn't want anything. But as it happened so often, you didn't want any M&Ms, but when you see somebody else eating M&Ms, did you ever want M&Ms then? I mean, I don't want any. I just want some of yours. That's all I want. And so he's sitting next to me. I said, hey, buddy, give me an M. I stuck my hand out. And my sweet little son, my little boy, toe-headed, alabaster skin, sitting there just munching on M&Ms. I said, give me an M. He goes, no. I said, boy, I did not ask. I said, give me an M. And he took the top of the bag and he crumpled it. No. And now I've realized this is not about M's. This is a teaching moment. And so I turned my body towards him. I said, son, give me an M right now. He pulled his shoulder away, looked over and said, no. <laughs> you know what he had forgotten? That boy had forgotten who bought him the M&M's. That's right. He forgot that it cost me a dollar. And in my pocket, I had 50. I could go buy them out of M&M's and rain them down on him if I wanted to. He forgot that I could take my next paycheck, I could call the company, we could fill his room with M's so that when he opened the door, a flood of rainbow-colored goodness would flush him down the hallway and he would never forget. If I wanted to, I could just drown him in M&M's and he's not willing to give me one. It's because we all believe that stuff belongs to us. And the reality is when you become a believer, you realize... Everything I got, my education, my family, my stuff, my car, eats like a bird, runs like a turd, all that kind of stuff, it's not even mine. And if God really wants that for me, if God can use that, I'm willing to throw it to the side. Now, let me tell you, that changes the trajectory of your life. Some of you are going to wrestle with this. I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't know who. I'm not a prophet. I don't know any of that. Can't look on your face and go, what's you? But some of you are going to wrestle with this, that God's going to get a hold of your heart. And he's going to ask you to live a different life, to go into some kind of ministry or mission. And you're going to be afraid that it's going to cost too much or it's going to make somebody mad or it'll create a big mess. Here's what I want you to know. No sacrifice is too great to do what he's asked you to do. It's a wonderful trajectory for your life. One last one. Let's repeat these words. Almost there. Everybody say, realize. realize. Call out. Ignore, Ignore. Sacrifice. sacrifice, all for the purpose of this one, become. Everybody say become. become. Now look what happened after all of this. It's about not what you know, not what you believe. It's about who you become. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. But look at the last line. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. You see, the whole purpose of God answering prayers is not just to be the great Santa Claus in the sky. The whole purpose of God being with you is not for you to just uh, be able to be blessed in your own accord. It's to lead you in a way that you would begin to follow him to become like him, for you to change. And for you to do that, you have to follow him. And that means his word, his church, his service. You have to follow him. I've told you a couple stories about Noah. Let me finish with one story about Nathan. And uh, 
Mind if I walk up on stage to do this? I'm going to do it whether you mind or not. So, We went to Disneyland several years ago because my wife wanted to take the kiddos to Disneyland. I'd been, I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Los Angeles, Pico Rivera. I spent every summer out there with my grandparents, and, uh, and I love Disneyland. But she said, let's take the kids to Disneyland. And I said, well, can we, can we hold off a little bit? Let's make sure they're a little bit older so that they, they understand and can grasp it. And so we waited until they were both at least five, and then we headed off. And I said, now, we're going to have to be really careful out here because Disneyland is a, it's a, it's a different animal all in its own. And she goes, well, I've been to an amusement park before. And I go, no, it's Disneyland. It's Disneyland. It's a completely different place. It's not like Worlds of Fun. It's not like Six Flags. It's huge. She goes, ah, oh, whatever. And we got there in the line, and it was that amazing moment when we stood there in the line to just buy the tickets. She's like, this place is amazing. Because even to buy tickets was like a small state moving as one. And, and I'm like, uh-huh, see, that's right. And she's like, okay, okay. Now, she was in a boot. She had uh, uh, hurt her leg, and she was in one of those walking cam boots. And, and as we're walking in, one of the Magic Kingdom representatives said, Ma'am, would you like a wheelchair complimentary today? We give away a few at the beginning of the day. She's like, no, 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 I'll be okay. She goes, really, it won't cost you anything. We're offering them. She goes, no, really, I promise it'll be fine. And the woman said, Ma'am, if you're in a wheelchair, you move to the front of the line. Oh, okay, that sounds good. And the whole family decided that Kathy needed to be in a wheelchair that day. It's like a free fast pass, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, we didn't ask for it. They gave it to us. So we thought, this got to be right. It's a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. And, and man, we put her in that wheelchair. We got excited. We're not going to have to wait in line. It's going to be great. And, and we got her in there. And, and I remember both my boys, I have boys, they're about five to seven or, or seven to four, somewhere in there. I can't remember how long ago it was, but, but they were little guys. And once we got Kathy in the chair and we hung the bags on the chair and I started pushing, I realized in that moment I had a flash panic attack. <gasps> no one has hands to hold the kids now. She's in a chair, and I'm pushing the chair, and they've, these little guys are going to be with us. And, and so I said, boys, boys, come here, come here, come here, come here. I said, I tried to get their attention. Have you ever tried to get small children's attention at the entrance to Disneyland? This is a miracle of God. I put them both in front of me. I said, look at me, look at me, look, focus, focus. I had to put their fing- my hands on either side of their head. And they're, they're like Jones, and they're like, look, where's the mouse? Where's the mouse? You know, they're, they, they're just really excited. And, and I said, look at me. This can be the best day of your life or it can be the worst day you've ever had. And when I said that, they both went, huh? Look it, no one's here to hold your hand. I got to push your mom. Do you understand? Yeah. And there are a lot of weirdos. We're in California. Do you understand me? (laughs) Yeah. I said, so you need to understand that you stay with me. You keep your eyes on me or somebody's going to take you. And the best scenario is going to be you're going to spend the rest of the day in the security office. And the worst is someone's going to take you home. Do you understand me? They said, yeah. I said, you have a job. What do you have? We have a job. What do you have? We have a job. What's your job? We don't know. Here's your job. Look at me. That's your job. Look at me. What do you have? We have a job. What's your job? Look at you. That was the job. Now, I got these two boys, right? Noah, my eldest. He's sweet and compliant. He's a wonderful child. Alabaster skin, came out of the womb saying things like, oh, father. (laughs) And because of him, we had a second child. And because of the second child, we do not have three. Because Nathan came out a warrior. He was Braveheart. He came out going, freedom! You know, he was, he's that guy. They're just different. They're both good kids, but they're just different. So we're walking along, and after my little speech, Noah's having trouble walking because he's just looking at me. He doesn't see anything else. He's like, Nathan, he's kind of looking like a junkie tweaking, if I could be really honest with you. 
he's walking along like, there's dad. <laughs> and he's just really struggling. But you can see he's trying. He keeps being drawn back, but it's hard for him. To be honest with you, after about eight hours, I was so impressed. Both my boys did really good that day. The last thing we did on our first day there was we went to the tiki, 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 tiki room. If you've never been there, it's just an animatronic wonderland. It's all these birds on totem poles, and, and it's all robotic. And, and we finally figured out, for my Nathan, who's been wired from birth, this was the first time he'd ever sat still in his life. There was so much going on around him, he went, oh. And Kathy and I said, we are staying here forever. When we got done, we, we took him and said, come on, boys, it's time to go. And I grabbed mom, started pushing him, and on the way out, the last part of the, the ride was kind of this exit on the way out. And even the totem poles in there had little faces that moved and talked. And one of them right at Nathan Tight caught his attention. He turned around and went, <laughs> and he stood there looking at it. He's doing booga waga. We're doing his little thing. And I started moving along. And Noah, older brother, reached back for Nathan and said, Nathan, come on. And I thought, no, 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 Noah, come on. And we went around the corner. And I pushed Kathy just around the corner. And I stood Noah over there, and I kind of stood at the end, and I just watched Nathan, who had completely lost track of us. And Nathan was mesmerized until the cycle ended, and the thing went, and when it finished, you could see he came out of his trance, and he was like, (laughs) you ever seen that little kid freak out that moment? Then I watched him, he went, Mom? Dad? And he's just walking in circles, Mom? And I probably should have rescued him a little sooner, but I'm wanting him to learn. Before I could do anything, this sweet little old grandma, she recognized a child in distress. She goes, oh, sweetie, do you need some help? And you could see it on his face. He's going, we're Californian. (laughs) And he starts screaming, ah! And from the end of that aisle, with all that noise and everything that was happening, all I did was I went, hey. And in that, his ears pricked up. His eyes turned around. He fixed on me. He was like. (laughs) He came running. He collapsed on his knees and got a hold of my calf. (laughs) He's blowing snot bubbles on my kneecap. I cut loose and I get down with him on my knee. I say, what happened? He goes, you left me. (laughs) I said, what? He goes, you left me. And I put my hands on either side of his face. I said, I did what? And he remembered. I quit watching you. Yep. But I never quit watching you. And that dude jumped up on me and hugged my neck, almost broke my neck. He just hung on me. I had to pick him up. We put him on mom's lap. He didn't have any strength left, and I had to push them all out of the park. This is what it means. Once you've decided to call out to him and ignore the masses and set the trajectory on your life, to keep your eyes on him. It's a lot. You'll, you'll lose track every now and then. Everybody will. Everybody say everybody. Everybody, everybody will. But he'll never quit watching you. But to become like him is to follow him in what you do, what you say, what you spend, how you act, your whole life. Now, none of this changes anything. All of this 
is a challenge for you. As freshmen, the whole world is your oyster. You have any direction you want to go in life. My prayer is that you'd pick one that does you and the rest of the world some good. And if you're looking for suggestions, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. So, for those of you who are here and you are believers, I want to conclude with a quick prayer. One to support you and encourage you on this journey. And for those of you who are saying, maybe, just maybe, God, I'm willing to walk down this road. Let me just tell you, Jesus said it only takes a mustard seed of faith. It only takes, if you give him an inch, he will take you a mile. And if you're willing to start down that road, I'd invite you to pray this with me as well. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to be in your word. I thank you so much for the story of um, Bartimaeus. I thank you for these words. God, may you help us to realize who we are as we see who you are. Would you give us the courage to call out so that we do what we need to do? Would you give us the strength to ignore when others might make fun, call against, or talk down? God, would you give us the wisdom to sacrifice knowing that we have nothing that didn't come from you in the first place? And finally, would you teach us how to follow you so that we can not just know you, but become like you? We admit we're sinful. We don't understand it all, but what we do understand, we offer back to you. Thank you for your son, his life, his death, his resurrection. And may we follow you for the rest of our life as Lord and Savior. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Now, as I turn this back over, how do you begin to follow? There are a bunch of wonderful churches in this community. You're a couple of communities away from other churches as well. I know hitching rides is difficult, but I guarantee you, if there's a church you'd like to try and you call that church office, I bet there are people who will bend over backwards to make sure they're here to get you there. And I know one of those is the church that I belong to. Our campus pastor's name is Michael Gray. He's back there as well. Michael, would you raise your hand? Michael is the campus pastor here at Cross Point. He would be an example, and if, he, if you're not interested in going to Crosspoint, he could get you connected with any of the other churches in town as well. Be more than happy to do that. But part of your experience has to be not just what happens on campus, it's what happens in your heart, and there is a community around you that's willing to help you grow in that direction as well. Thank you for your time. Please get in touch if there's anything we can do. This is going to be a great year. Look at somebody next to you and say, buckle up. This is going to be awesome. Go ahead and tell them. It's going to be awesome. Very good. Thank you, guys.